Amen. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Let's look at verse 6. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. The Bible says, guys, I'm going to use my uh, keynote. Romans chapter 5, look at verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man's man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, thank you for your word. And Father, as we celebrate and really concentrate, think about, meditate on your resurrection today. Father, I pray that, that we will come to understand some of what happened And Lord, I pray that there's someone here this morning that's not sure of their eternity, that's not sure that heaven is their home, that today will be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you all, but I love this time of year. I love the the change of the seasons. I love it that this week, Lord willing, I'm going to get out and play some golf. I love the idea of being outside and all of those things, and I even get to wear my pink shirt today. Don't judge me. And I love it that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ right now. Because when you talk about a new beginning, when you talk about a fresh start, there's nothing that gives hope or a new beginning like the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is our hope. You know, we live in this time, kind of a time of darkness. There's all the political upheaval. There's all the lies of the media. There's the the COVID stuff that's going on. And it feels like if you turn on the television, it's just oppressive and it's weighing down on you. But then you open up the words of Scripture and we see He is risen, just as He said. And because He lives, we can live also. There's joy. There's And we're going to see all of that is in our text today. Because he lives, we can have life also. It's such an amazing thing that, that the kindest man, the most loving man, the most perfect man, to ever walk the face of the earth is the man that was hanging on the cross, the God man. And that is such a picture of humanity, and we're going to look at that some today. But when you understand that what man does is man, in order to destroy righteousness, they do that so that they can exalt themselves because the righteousness of Christ is an assault to the sinfulness of man. And so they try to pull it down. And we're going to see some things in our text today that I think are wonderful. Four things I want you to think about. Four, four words to think about today. The first word that I want you to think about is sin. Look at what it says in verse, in verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners. What, what is sin? I've got this on the screen for you. Theodore Parker once said, I seldom use the word sin 
The Christian, of do- the Christian doctrine of sin is the devil's own. So there's this positive view of Christianity that can't stand the concept of sin. And so this guy, he's saying, I, I don't want to use that word. It, it is the devil's own. I hate it utterly. His view of sin shaped his views as to the person of Christ, atonement, and we're going to look at that word in a minute, and salvation. In fact, the, the sin question is back of one's theology. That's what you believe about God. Soteriology, that's what you believe about salvation. Sociology, that's what you believe about society. Evangelism and ethics. One cannot hold a scriptural view of God and the plan of salvation without having a scriptural idea of sin. We celebrate the resurrection. Are you glad Jesus rose from the dead? But why did he die in the first place? Because of sin. We, we can't celebrate the resurrection without acknowledging that he had to die for a reason. And that reason was for us. It was because of our sin. One cannot proclaim a true theory of society unless he sees the heinousness of sin and its relation to all social ills and disorders. No man can be a successful New Testament evangelist, publishing the gospel as the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, unless he has an adequate conception of the enormity of sin. Nor can a man hold a consistent theory of ethics, or live up to the highest standard of morality unless he is gripped with a keen sense of sin's seductive nature. We have to be saved from something. And we understand that sin is all around us. And the worst part about it is sin is not only around me, sin is in me. That I am sinful. So if we're going to understand these four words, if we're going to understand the power of the resurrection, we must understand what sin is. And we have to distinguish between sin and sins. That little S at the end makes a big difference. Sin is not a weakness or a flaw for which we cannot be held responsible. It is an energetic, purposeful antagonism to God. Now, I saw a debate between Christopher Hitchens and Frank Turek. And basically, Frank Turek said about, he said, if I was going to summarize Hitchens' book, and his book is God is Not Great. He said, if I were going to summarize Hitchens' book, it would be, there is no God and I hate him. And he said, I truly believe that if God told Christopher he could sleep with whoever he wanted to, he would believe in him. You see, what happens is sin in our life comes into conflict with the righteousness and holiness of God. And when the righteousness and holiness of God is revealed to the world, the world either has to bow to Christ's righteousness or they must stop it. And it is an antagonism to God. That's what sin in me is sin is the tendency or disposition to sin that we inherit from Adam. You know, it's hard for us to understand that that precious little baby that we hold is a precious, cute, sweet little sinner. And I always say, do you have to teach your children how to throw a fit at Walmart? No, you have to teach them how not to do that. Now, some of you have waited until they're teenagers and it becomes harder. But they are born sinners. We are born sinners. We sin because we are sinners. 
Sin is the tendency or disposition to sin that we inherit from Adam. Sins are the specific individual acts that we commit as a result of that tendency. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. And that's why we have to discipline our children. That's why God gives us the scriptures. So the Bible gives us five definitions of sin. Sin is, first of all, to break God's law. Sin is any transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4 says. So if you break any of the laws that God said, you're guilty of all of them. And then neglecting to do what we know the will of God is. So to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is. So when you know you're supposed to do something and you don't do it, that's sin. Another definition, acting outside the bounds of faith. The Bible says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Acting outside the bounds of faith. How many of you are you're kind of failing already? Right? And then also sin is unbelief. The Bible says Jesus told us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convince the world of sin and of unbelief. In Revelation 21.8, the Bible says, But the fearful and unbelieving shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Unbelief is a sin. Some people will say, I just don't believe. We're going to see some people in the Bible that said that. I just don't believe. Well, that's your choice. You can choose not to believe, but that is an active sin. And you will pay for that choice of unbelief. And then the Bible says in 1 John 5, 17, all unrighteousness is sin. Anything that is not righteous is sin. Now, we understand that in our world today, we talked about it in the Sunday school hour, that people are trying to define their own righteousness, right? There is no such thing as sin and don't judge me. Well, wait a minute. Then you're saying judging is a sin. I'm confused because it's a completely illogical position. Would you all agree with that? The world has its own set of sins and the Bible says, woe to him that calls good evil and evil good. And that's where the world is. The world is glorifying sin. And Jesus Christ came to die for sin. Consider these thoughts about sin. It's man's greatest problem. There are open sins and secret sins, according to Psalms. There are op- the, the open sins, and they're obvious, things like drunkenness, lying, profanity, theft. We know that, how many of you know that those things are sin? All right, so then we probably had a close Congress. Doesn't just seem like the job description right here? There are secret sins that lie within the heart. Don't raise your hand. How many of you have something you're glad no one else knows about? But, of course, those things are all open and naked to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. But I'm glad, even though God knows those things and I confess, I'm glad you guys don't know what's been in my heart or in my mind. And I'm sure everyone here can say a hearty amen to that. And there are secret sins, things that lie within the heart. So why do some people seem like big sinners and others not so much? Clarence Larkin, he he made a great statement on this. In fruit, there is a tendency to rot and decay. And unless preserved, it will soon perish. So it is with the root principle of sin in the human heart. Out of Christ, there is no difference between men. Take a man honest, honorable, truthful, upright, benevolent. Take a woman pure, chaste, amiable, gentle, meek the embodiment of all loveliness. 
Take some sweet girl, pure as a lily, the light of the household, a living joy. Take a little child, innocent, the heaven-sent prattler of the fireside, and as unspotted as the new fallen snow. And what is the difference between any of these and the lost spirits, the sin-saturated souls hating and hated, cursing and cursed, blaspheming and damned that writhe in hell? What's the difference? It is simply the difference between meal, into which the leaven has been placed, and meal in which the leaven has done its work. It is simply the difference as to time and development. See, the Bible says that sin bringeth death. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Jesus Christ himself said, it's not that which enters into a man that defiles a man, but that which proceeds out of him. And you're thinking, man, this is not the celebration I was hoping for. It gets worse. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So we all know that we're sinners. We all know that sin is in us and that we commit sin. And that even if we try to redefine sin, we're still guilty of that same sin. How many of you have ever looked at somebody that's different than you and thought, I don't like them? You lose! It doesn't matter how you redefine sin. Any of you men, have you ever thought of a woman in a way that you shouldn't have? Any of you women, have you ever hated a man because he's a man? It doesn't matter how you define the sin. We're all guilty of it. Would you all agree with that? And the Bible says that what we get for that is death. The wages of sin is death. What is this death? First of all, it's more than mere physical death because even those who are righteous die physically. The Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. So all of us die physically, so it has to be more than that. And it's not just spiritual death because the Bible says, "...in you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins." If you're not born again, you're already spiritually dead. So what is it? It's eternal death. Eternal death is eternal separation from God in a Christless hell. The reason heaven is so wonderful is because Christ is there. The reason hell is so awful is because Christ isn't there. Hell is fire and torment and torture and horror. It's awful. Why? Because every good and every perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. God is good. God is love. And when you say, I don't want you, God, what you're saying is, I don't want good. I don't want love. Well, why doesn't he make me? Because we call that a rapist. We call that a kidnapper. Love that's not chosen is not love. And God, he revealed his love by dying on the cross for us. He came as a man. He was perfect. He was sinly, sinless. He was holy. And he said, just, I'm here for you. And they said, no, I hate you. And he says, okay, I'll let you. But he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The only way to life is through me. I'm here. Come through me. Enter in. Come, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'm here for you. I hate you. I'll spit in your face. And you know what Jesus did? He gave them his face. And there's a penalty for that choice. And it's eternal death. So the first word is sin. The second word is Savior. Aren't you glad he came? Listen to the way the Bible describes him in 1 Timothy 1.17. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the one who came. That's the Savior. But notice what it says, invisible. Well, wait a minute. Jesus was visible. That's why he took on that body. Show us the Father. Have I been with you so long and still you don't know? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Bible says in Hebrews 1 that he is the express image of his person, of the Father's person. Then notice what the Bible says about Jesus. Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He is our Savior. Jesus Christ is God. He never gave up being God when he came. He is the God-man. 100% God, 100% man, without sin, the God-man. The only begotten Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have temporary life. What's the word? How many of you are thankful for that everlasting life? Because we're sinners, we need a Savior. We have to be saved from something. So we have a brand new firefighter with us. And I'll probably embarrass him, but I understand that when it came to the physical part of it, he did better than anybody ever has. They're close to it. Yeah, pretty impressive. And so if I'm in trouble, I want Jake coming to save me. Chad's a little out of shape. I want Jake. And I definitely want a firefighter, not a sheriff's deputy. Where's Dave? I mean, I better never need a sheriff's deputy after that, right? See, I like it that he's here, but I'm really going to like to see him if I'm in trouble. Isn't that right? When you are in danger, when you need to be saved from something, that's when the Savior comes. Go back to Romans. Look at Romans Notice what it says. Verse 6. For when we were yet without strength. What what does that mean? I had no strength to save myself. Christ died for the ungodly. Can you imagine you're in the fire. You've tried to make it out of the fire. The smoke has overcome you. You don't have enough strength to make it out. And in comes the firefighter. And they pick you up off the ground. And they carry you out. Because you didn't have enough strength to save yourself. Someone else had to save you. You do not have enough strength to save yourself. Someone else has to save you. And that someone is the only one, the Savior, Jesus Christ. There's neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But how does he save us? How does, how does that work? 
Notice what it says. Our third word is sacrifice. Sin, the Savior, but the Savior had to become the sacrifice. You know, when these police officers and firefighters and soldiers, they understand that they may have to die in order to save someone else or to protect someone else. But that's not the goal. The goal is the saving. The goal is the helping. The goal is not the dying. Jesus' goal was the dying. How many of you acknowledge that's a different kind of Savior? But God commendeth. How did he show it? But God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He became the sacrifice. But if he was God, why did he stay on the cross? Why, why would he do that? Put, put a ribbon here in Romans 5. And go with me to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. You know, uh, uh, I, I've seen atheists say, what would you have to do, what would God have to do to make you believe? He needs to write my name in the sky. Well, I can write their name in the sky. Get an airplane and go up and write their name in the sky. How many of you could, you might not know how to fly, but you would know how to get a hold of an airplane person, right? Just type it into the Google machine and it'll spit it out. I mean, that's no big deal. What did God do? He actually became a man. And then he rose from the dead. I can't do that. But, if Jesus, if he was God, why did he stay on the cross? In Mark chapter 15, look at verse 30. So Jesus is on the cross. Which is just an amazing thing to say, isn't it? But here, in the biblical account, he is on the cross... And verse 29 says, And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. Understand, that was the lie that the Pharisees told at his trial. Jesus never said he would destroy the temple. He said, If you destroy this temple, I will raise it again in three days. Speaking of his body, they were going to destroy it, and they are doing it here. But they're liars. Verse 30 Save thyself and come down from the cross. Do you understand what they were asking? These people who Jesus is dying for are mocking him, saying, come down off the cross. You say you're God, come down off the cross. And these were just illiterate people. These were just common folks. What about the people that should have known better? Look at the next verse. Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others himself. He cannot save. Could he have saved himself? What did he say? Uh, uh, could not I pray to my father? And he'd send 12 legions of angels. If he was God, why did he stay on the cross? Why didn't he save himself? Well, according to Matthew 26, 53, because the scriptures had to be fulfilled. The scriptures had to be fulfilled, so Jesus Christ stayed on the cross. And he had submitted himself to the Father's will, not my will, but thine be done. Not only that, but Jesus Christ 
He had come to drink the cup of God's wrath on sin. That's what he came to. Remember we said that there's a difference between a firefighter, a police officer, and a soldier, and Jesus Christ. They don't intend to die. Jesus did. He knew when he came that he was going to drink the cup of God's wrath. He knew. And if he had come down from the cross, you and I could never be saved. Look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 18. First Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath, I love this, once suffered for sins. How many times did Jesus have to die? Once. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Look at the just. That's him for the unjust. That's me. Why did he do that? That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh. Remember immortal, invisible? He took on flesh so that he could be pierced and beaten and whipped and crucified. Being put to death in the flesh but quickened, made, made alive by the Spirit. See, if he had come down from the cross, you and I could never be saved. Those, those, those chief priests, those religious leaders, they're saying come down off the cross. That would mean that no one could ever be saved. Because he's the only way. He's the only way. How many of you are glad he didn't come down? Amen. But what good does it do if he died? So, yes, he died. But what, so what did that do? What, what good does it do? Well, that's our last word, salvation. Salvation. But look, go back to Romans 5. This is so fun. This is the title of my message. That was all the introduction. Okay, verse 8. Romans 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Are you glad he died for your sin? Okay, look, look at the next verse. Much more then. Have you ever noticed that churches like ours, Jesus is no longer on the cross? You ever noticed that? Why? We don't celebrate the cross. <laughs> we celebrate the resurrection. He's not on the cross anymore. They took him down off the cross. They put him in a borrowed tomb. He stayed in that borrowed tomb for three days and three nights. And on that third day, he rose from the dead. It was on a Sunday morning, and so that's why we worship. That's why we celebrate on Sunday morning, that first day of the week. He came out of the, cross. He came out of the grave victorious forevermore. And when he did that, much more than, let's look at some things that happened. His resurrection provides salvation for us. His resurrection, his death doesn't provide the salvation. His resurrection provides the salvation. Notice what it says in verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood. So he shed the blood and we're justified by it. But something else had to happen for us to be justified. Look at chapter 4. Look at what it says in verse 24. 
but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. What is that? That's the righteousness of God is given to us. The righteousness of Christ is given to us. And what's the qualification? If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Look at verse 25. Who was delivered for our offenses. That is delivered to the cross, delivered to die. And was raised again for our justification. What is justification? Justification is where God, the righteous judge, makes a legal verdict of not guilty. So what is it? The Bible says, blessed is he to whom the Lord doth not impute sin. So my sin, I am still guilty for my sin. But based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, based on the blood of Jesus Christ, God chooses to call me not guilty. He chooses not to punish me for my sin. Isn't that good? But that doesn't mean I have life. The lack of the penalty is not the life. The lack of the penalty is simply, I don't have the eternal death. What's the much more then? What's the much more then? His resurrection provides salvation. Verse 9, uh, uh, chapter 5 and verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, will, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so that death, it allowed for reconciliation. There was a wall that was between me and God, and that wall was my sin. There, there was an indictment that was written against me. And Jesus took that indictment, and he had that nailed to the cross with him. And so now, my, my offenses are gone. My guilt is gone, but much more than, look at, look at what it says. Middle of verse 10. Much more, do you see that again? Much more. Being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. See, because he lives, we can live also. Praise God for that. Now, now notice what it says. And not only so, verse 11, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. So let me ask you a question. How many of you here believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? You believe that. Okay. How's your joy? If I had to judge by your faces, I'd say not great. Well, pastor, I'm relaxed. It takes work to smile. See, part of the resurrection life is joy. So let's let's just let's just look at what he did. So Jesus said, "Yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also." How many of you are glad he lives? That's our promise of life. We're saved by his life. It is a faithful saying, "For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him." Well, how do we die with him? How do we die with him? So I've set up some crosses, and so uh, the deacons are ready with hammers and nails. And all of us are going to go after church, and we're going to get nailed to crosses, and we're all going to die. So you're all wishing I brought the Kool-Aid now. No. 
How do we die with him? By believing in his death, burial, and resurrection. But by saying, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that you're God, and I believe that you paid my price, and I believe that you rose from the dead. Please save me. Do you know what happens? When you do that, you die with him. And you're raised to walk in newness of life. Because he lives, we can live also. Praise God. Salvation. Salvation. Much more, this is our text, much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, that means brought back together, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. What is the atonement? The payment for sin. The sa- Jesus, God was satisfied with the sacrifice. We've received that. Salvation. What does the Bible say? That we are justified by his blood. We're, de- we're declared righteous because of his blood. Not because of our righteousness. Because of his blood. Justified by his blood. Reconciled by his death. Saved from his wrath. You understand it's the wrath of the son. The wrath of the lamb. We're saved from that. By his blood. We're saved from that. And then we're saved by his life. We're saved by his life. Because he lives, we can live also. But the Bible says, you say you believe in him, then walk even as he walked. Do you walk as he walked so that you can get saved? No. No. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I have a pen. And this one's a nice pen. It's so funny. Last week I was excited about my pen because it was only a $10 pen. And Maureen said, I can't believe he spent $10 on a pen. So if only she saw my other ones. There's a new pen I just got. It's a new used old pen. And it's a fountain pen. And I really like it. And if I wanted to make it a gift to you, what do you have to do? You have to wash my car every week for the next 10 years. What do you do? You give it back because it's not worth it. Salvation's a gift. Have you received that gift? Or are you still working for it? See, what you get for what you earn, what you, what you earn for what you do, that's your wages. Well, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. The gift Have you received the gift? It must be received as a gift. And then you have the joy. So if you're here this morning and you've not received that gift, today receive the gift. But secondly, how many of you have received the gift? How is your life? How is your joy? Uh, uh, Someone, the the old old story is someone said, um, how are you doing? I'm doing good under the circumstances. And the guy said, well, what are you doing under there? Casting all your care on him, for he careth for you. Why would you be carrying those? Jesus Christ said, give them to me. How's your joy? We have to have a Spurgeon quote. Listen to what he said. You can read it along with me. Men will allow God to be everywhere, but on his throne. 
They will allow him to be in his workshop to fashion worlds and make stars. They will allow him to be in his almany to dispense his alms and bestow his bounties. They will allow him to sustain the earth and bear up the pillars thereof, or light the lamps of heaven, or rule the waves of the ever-moving ocean. But when God ascends his throne, his creatures then gnash their teeth. And we, be, and we proclaim an enthroned God. No, and we proclaim an enthroned God and his right to do as he wills with his own, to dispose of his creatures as he thinks well, without consulting them in the matter. Then it is that we are hissed and execrated, and then it is that men turn a deaf ear to us. For God on his throne is not the God they love, but it is God upon the throne that we love to preach. It is God upon his throne whom we trust. You see, people say, well, why would God kill his own son? What kind of a terrible person, what kind of a terrible creature would do that? A God that is all just and all love. But understand that Jesus Christ said, no man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down willingly. Jesus Christ came into the world to do that for us. And he died. And I am so thankful that he did that for me, as awful as it was. But the thing that we rejoice in and the thing that we celebrate is his life, his resurrection. Are you thankful that he's risen? Let's stand together. If Christ be not raised, then we are of all men most miserable. Why then are we as Christians living miserably? Is he raised? Is he raised? Is he raised? Then let's have the joy of the Lord. When you go and visit your family today, go happy. Go joyful. Why are you so happy? He's risen. Well, don't you know, Major League Baseball moved the games. He's risen. He's risen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God, for rising from the dead. If you're not saved, how many of you know how to show someone how they can go to heaven? You know how. Raise your hand. Now, hold your hands up. Look around. Everybody look around. If you see somebody with their hand up and you're not sure about heaven, go just tap them on the shoulder and say, can you tell me how I can go to heaven? You can go home today 100% sure that heaven's your home. And then the rest of us, can we live the Christ life out in the world? Can we be full of joy? And just so you know, physician, heal thyself. I need this as much as any of us. Can we just say it out loud, real loud? He is risen. You ready? One, two, three. He is risen. Amen. Let's sing this together. How deep the Father's love for us.